answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. This week's show was pre-recorded at an earlier date. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Glad you are here with us on this uh, fantastic weekend, I guess. Yeah. Does it feel fantastic? How can you tell? You're working from home. You're on a Zoom meeting. You're on the phone. Take out the trash. You go back to a Zoom meeting. <laughs> cook dinner. You watch. Some, I have. I. <laughs> you watch a little bit of Wheel of Fortune. You go to bed. Wheel of Fortune. How many? This is, by the way, this is a financial program with myself and my co-host here, Pat. We're both financial advisors, and um, we will talk about financial matters. But how do you think? Like, if you're in a, a pant manufacturer you sell pants oh skirts or whatever right <laughs> but if you're a shirt guy you're rich <laughs> just not ties or jackets <laughs> just shirts but you know it's also and we'll get to the we've so we do a lot of zoom meetings and we do zoom meetings with uh scott and i have been on a number of zoom meetings with third parties outside of our own company and we have a dress code for zoom meetings yes. but apparently we're in a minority <laughs> i know it's amazing because we were Some on that pers- one and i felt uh what was the name i called them duck dynasty yeah, they look like all they all look like uh, duck dynasty they had the, they're out of manhattan a couple of investment bankers yeah. i've never seen anything like it yeah like it, it, he's out of manhattan and he's got like this <laughs> baseball hat on and a gun rack and behind a, him and, and a, this like old beard they both had big beards and a uh, baseball cap on it with t-shirts and sweatpants. I, I, I asked him if we were going to go bass fishing when we were done. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a sh- You've got a Harvard MBA and you're working for this big investment bank and you look like... Uh, yeah. It's but, hilarious. You'd see him in person and be all but buttoned to, up. But uh, it's changed. I mean, if you're working in an office, I don't need to tell you it's changed. It's... um. It's changed. Well, no, with this, as you know, from an investment standpoint, there have clearly been uh, some winners and some losers. Yeah. And the winners that you have now, believe me, they will not be winners forever. forever. And if you don't believe us, go look at 30 years ago, the top, look at the S&P 500, the top companies 30 years ago. And then tell us. GE. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, mean it it, yeah, it doesn't go back matter. Front, you, you know. But the, the 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 way capitalism works is if if the profit margins are large, the businesses move into that in order to get some of that profit margin. And so while platforms like Zoom, have, how many times have you had people say, "Man, I wish I would have bought Zoom stock." Oh, it's a hilarious thing to think about. Yeah, I don't know if there's a regret of not. I don't know what that means. You wish you would have bought Zoom stock. I wish I would have done a lot of things in life. I normally do, do I don't people s- really sit and think about that. Man, I wish I would have done that. But actually, of all the things I think about of how I should have lived life differently, it's never been a stock choice for me. <laughs> <laughs> regrets. <laughs> I've never. Well, in all my regrets, it's never been about stocks that, and because, or money. <laughs> but you, you have always had a, a diversified, disciplined approach to your investment portfolio. That's, yes. And there are some people right now approaching retirement that have weathered this financial storm just fine. Maybe their 401k is not quite to the balance it was in February, but they've been diversified. They're fine. There are others that were highly weighted in a particular industry or even worse, a particular company or some esoteric financial scheme product of such that oh. blew up on them. Yes. I mean, it's um, yeah, but I but I view investing probably a little bit differently. I view investing as a store of money or a store of wealth, um, and other people sometimes view it as a way to get rich, and I view it as how I store labor. That's how I view it. I mean, you always like to use the store labor concept. Yes, and I know it's an economic concept, but I always think it's odd because, um. What are the factors of production? Well, some of it's labor, some of it's technology. Right. And what's the and other mechanics? Th- and capital? Yes. Right. 
Okay, we're going back to economics 101. So okay. First day. First day of class. <laughs> well, that's, only, that's the only day I was there. <laughs> that's my daughter, my 24-year-old daughter, who just got her master's uh, a couple weeks ago. Congratulations. Um, she says to me, accounting <laughs> she says, accounting was the worst experience. That was the worst class I ever had. Those four weeks were terrible. I said, four weeks? She says, oh, yeah, I dropped the class. Oh. <laughs> she's, she's talking about how awful accounting was, accounting 101. She made it four weeks. I said, you are my daughter, and you're smart with math. How hard is accounting? I don't know. No. In any case. All right. This is a financial talk show. Thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to actually get to the calls. If you'd like to join the show... What's the phone number? I don't, it's written down here somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm sorry, Pat. Oh, it's eight, We've been doing this a long time. 833-99-WORTH. Yeah. That's 833-999-6784 if you'd like to join the show. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we take some calls then? Let's talk with uh, Michelle. Michelle, you're with All Worth's Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, I have a question. Um, I just recently sold my house, and I walked away with about $120,000. I have about $200,000 in stocks, and I'm getting ready to go to school for two and a half years in a different location. And I don't know, should I invest my $120,000, or should I possibly buy a house where I'm going to be living for two and a half years. I'm not sure what I should do right now. I mean, interest rates are really low. After the know. two and a half. And why did you, why did you sell the house? Do you think you're going to return to the geography that you're leaving right now after school? Or do you know? Well, the house is too big for me. It was a beautiful home. I loved it, but really it was too big for me. And the yard, I had a three acre yard. It was just, it, it was a lot of work, and after I go to school, I'm going to be working full-time, and I just don't want to have to take care of that much property. And how old are you, Michelle? I'm 49. And where did you move from, and where are you going? I moved from Missouri. I'm going to Denver, Colorado. Beautiful. Um, do you think you're going to stay in Denver? I don't know. That's so, why I'm kind of— so I, I would, I'd leave it in, uh, I'd go to bankrate.com and look up the highest yielding bank CDs that you could find or money markets, something that's a hundred percent liquid. And I would just put that 120 there and wait to see where life takes you. So here's the thing. Your, your best investment, Michelle, is in you. So if you look at wealth, well, if you look at wealthy people, by and large, their wealth came not from inheritances or the lottery, although that happens sometimes. Typically, it comes from their career. Most of the time, it's based upon a skill that they've brought to the marketplace. Sometimes it's based upon luck. They just happen to be working for the right company. You're employee number 12 at Facebook. Life turned out pretty well for you, right? But most of the time, it's uh, in their own skills that they bring in the marketplace, and then they save a little bit each year, and they get... That's how wealth is, is built. So the fact that you are taking time to go back to school, to earn a new education, to embark on a new career, to take you to this next chapter, that is going to be a much higher return than in anywhere this $120,000 is going to go. Well, and I also have $200,000 saved um, in investment. Yes. Yeah, and well, we get, we get yeah, that. Of so, the 200000 how much is that all in stock or stock funds? Uh, some of it's in TSP. I have a Roth IRA. I also have um, a traditional IRA. And then some of it is in a more liquid form, even though it's in stocks. I use that for if I need money. Uh, All right. So it sounds like you've got on top of everything pretty well yes. here. So I would I would just keep this 120 in cash and wait to see where. And I don't think I'd buy got. anything in Denver. You don't know where you're going to end up. I would not buy anything in Denver. Until you've been there probably for at least a year. Well, she's in school. I'd wait till you get out of school and see where the job market's going to uh, take you. Fair enough. Unless, unless you plan on working for the university uh, or something when you graduate. I mean, no, I, I'll be free. I can go pretty much anywhere I want. Uh, once I move, I have to 
I'll have to be supervised. I'm going to be a therapist. And so I'll have to be supervised for two years. And then I can move again if I want. Okay. So that's even more reason just to leave it in cash and not buy anything. Okay. And what school are you going to? I'm going to Colorado Christian University. All right. Good for you. I have a a son that lives in Denver, and Scott has a daughter that lives in Denver. Yes. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah. And they love it. I actually like Denver. They love Denver. My daughter was home from the quarantine, but went back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It looks like a beautiful place to be, so... Yeah. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, All right. We congratulations. Wish you, well, you know, it's All been right, thank you. it's interesting with real estate markets. And here's why you, here's the challenge with it, real estate markets can still be v- different by every geography. Right? Oh, absolutely. 100%. So, like, we did not recommend that she purchase in Denver because, I mean, she's planning on being there 20 years. That's one thing. But two and a half years? Who, who knows? knows? And the cost of transaction is relatively high. So I, re- I remember years ago, we had a, a client in California. I think he was in Stockton area. He, uh, this was in the latter part of the 90s, first part of the 2000s. Sold his home in California, moved to Denver. Bought a house in, in Denver, was there five or six years. When he left Denver, now we've all probably heard Denver's a hot, there's a few hot markets in the country. Denver's been one of them. When he left Denver, the house that he had lived in for five or six years was worth the same that he bought it for. In Denver. In Denver. The same. The house that he sold in California had more than doubled in value. He could not, could no longer afford to move back to the house. Now then the financial crisis happened and that house went back down in value. It's just timing. Timing. So... I mean, real, just like we talk about, you know, stocks being long-term investments, real estate, we need to look at the same sort of thing. Markets go through cycles. We can't predict when cycles are going to occur. Nobody can predict when a cycle is going to occur. And if you, unless you've got a, a long, unless you know you're going to be somewhere for a long term, you're not really investing, you're speculating. And it can go either way. Yes. And, and, and in home ownership, it can, it's worse because you you're tend to be leveraged. You have loans. And while interest rates are low, as they are low now, that it actually drives typically drives the price of a Everything house else up. up. So if interest rates are high, it typically drives the price down. But but having said that, interest rates, Pat, are so low. Oh, it's crazy low. And if you haven't refinanced in the last couple of years, where have you been? Where have you been? If you haven't refinanced. And I was talking to somebody. Who didn't he? he the. the I mean, it's, oh, it's tempting for some people with a home paid off to say, why don't I take a mortgage because they raise it so low? But the challenge is... Where do you put it in? Everything else is so low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, not a, take, yeah. it's not a risk to risk, right? Take money out of your home, put it in the stock market. It is not the equivalent. It's not the same. No, that is taking a big gamble. That's, yeah. I would not recommend that. Around. So anyway. All right. 833-99-WORTH to be part of the program. And um, anyway, Michelle, glad you... You called. And let's talk with Eve. Eve, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi there. Hi, Eve. How are you? We're wonderful. Thank you. How what can, can we help? do for you? Um, so my question has to do with a bill that has come across um, in the mail um, from a phone company 10 years ago saying that my husband owes a large amount of money for a cell phone service from 2008, I believe it was. So the interest rates have are mainly what drew it up, but we've never heard anything from them before. Okay. And I want to know, do we need to pay this? Yeah, how, how, how much are they asking for? They're asking for $1,800. And are you familiar with this loan at all? Or this debt at all? Did it you in fact incur it, or did they bring this up out of thin air? Um, my husband said that they did have the provider as a phone service, but they never he never received a single bill. Okay, saying that hey, this is due. You need to pay this. Okay, so who did the the letter come from? It was not the phone company. It was a third party. Correct. No. 
Yes. And what was the, so here's what happened here. Here's what happened. It's actually quite a fascinating industry that actually sits behind all of this thing. There is a secondary. Is that what you call it fascinating. Well, it's I got a little disgusting. <laughs> all right. Well, it's actually it is a little disgusting, but it it is. Um, so behind companies can sell their bad debt to third parties. Mm-hmm. Collect the receivables they weren't able to collect. Right. And so what hap- What probably happened here? Your husband never got a bill. Something happened. They didn't have the right mailing address or whatever. They can never get the bill to him. It was never paid. They they probably didn't try that hard to find him. Because how much was the mm-hmm. original bill charge? Uh, original bill was $760. Okay. 760 bucks. Well, for, they, they can't try that hard to get 700 bucks, right? You're not going to hire a private investigator and go search somebody else. So they probably kind of looked. They gave up. They've they got this, sold the receivables to someone else. For maybe 10 bucks. Yeah. Yes. For mm-hmm. almost nothing. And then, based upon the fact that this is 2008, my guess is it's been sold two or three times. Because Mm -hmm. some receivable companies actually will sell them again. They go through them and take a big swat at trying to get as much money as they can. And then they're like, ah, this is still not receivable. I can't can't collect this. And then they sell it to someone else further down the food chain that will try again. And then again. So they'll settle this. If, in fact, you owe it, it may be past the statute of limitations. I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. You could ignore it. It may or may not affect your credit. I don't know. I'm sure if you got on the Google machine, it would tell you uh, what these look like. Or you can call them up and say, hey, I'm going to pay you $300, $200, $400, and that's all you're going to get. So take it or don't take it. And I have personally done this for relatives of myself where they've gotten themselves in financial situations and these their, their, their loans debt has been sold to others and I've actually settled with them. I'm like, look, I'll call the company and I will actually cut a deal with them. But it's 2008, so this loan's 12, this debt's 12 years old. I don't, I have no idea whether it's going to, affect your credit at this point in time or not. Right. Right. But I do know that they will settle for a lower number. And I know that from experience, not my, it wasn't, fortunately, it wasn't my own financial situation. It was that of some relatives. Mm-hmm. So what happens when they now buy, when they buy these loans? So there's some, there's companies out mm-hmm. there that this is their whole business model. They'll buy a huge pool of loans of unpaid bills. And they track you down. They know that the vast majority, they're never going to find the people. They're not going to get paid back. They know that the vast majority, they're not going to get paid on. But if they get lucky enough on a a small percentage, it's enough for them to recoup their cost of this pool of of debts that they bought and make some money. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you call them up and you say, we don't, we fully dispute this thing. I don't, this is, you guys are barking up the wrong tree, but Mm -hmm. I don't want to mess with you. I'll give you 250 bucks now. And you let this thing go. They might say, huh, all right. They're not going to say that at first. No, no, they don't say that at first. They'll say, that's ridiculous. Why would we do such a thing? You owe us $1,800. Mm-hmm. All righty. Mm-hmm. But now if on the bottom of their disclaimer, they said that they could go after us through the IRS. Of course. No, they, well, they, can't. They, they can't do that. IRS. They can't. And okay. the IRS. I didn't think so. No, no, no. The IRS doesn't have anything to do with them. That's okay. actually, IRS. actually that Good that's really, now kind I of, that's scummy. That's yeah. really, really, they're probably breaking some laws. They're saying that IRS. Didn't I start by saying mm-hmm. this industry is disgusting? <laughs> I think that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, the word yeah. I use. Okay. Yes. I find the whole industry a little disgusting. Yeah. Don't worry about the IRS. Well, worry about the IRS, but not in in this, in this. So you can choose to ignore it. If you care about your credit rating, then look to see whether this is going to affect your credit rating or not, or just call them up. You do, you did owe the money to someone. You didn't pay Mm -hmm. it. That was a bad debt. So, um, you know, they're, they're within their rights to actually go. They didn't make this up out of thin air. The question is, is right. what's the dollar amount that they'll settle for? Okay. All righty. 
Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, Eve, we wish you well. And it's a, I did say the industry, I actually think that does some, they serve a purpose in the capital markets. Yes. Because if there were never any sort of recourse on (laughs) repayment of debt, no one would pay their bills. But this is an old one. This is 12 years old. And this is the first they've heard of it. Pretty amazing. There was um, many areas of the country when the coronavirus lockdowns were first imposed. There were moratoriums on uh, evictions for renters, for both uh, co- both uh, corporate, you know, residential uh, renters as far as renting your apartment or your house, and also as leases on commercial, commercial, and different markets treated it differently different states, and then different uh, localities. Many of those are now starting to expire. Well, there's talk of extending those further. There's talk of a 10-year repayment program with uh, residential properties with landlords. 10 years. 10 years. There was one talk where they were trying to put together some program where the government would then step in the middle and. The mortgage payments continue for the people that own those buildings, by the way. They didn't give a moratorium on that. And so if I'm living in an apartment, there is a very good chance that that apartment has debt on it. If the debt is financed through Fannie Mae. Then there is uh, a moratorium. There is a debt. There's forbearance. But, but most are not. Most the vast are not. Majority are yes, not. the vast majority are not. Lots of them are actually owned by investment firms, insurance companies, pension funds, um, traded. I mean, it's really interesting. It's really interesting when you look at the, uh, the 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 rash decisions that were made out of a lot based on fear and the numbers and not knowing and. It's yeah. easy to play money, money, money quarterback. So we're not attempting to do that. But that there's some, there was things such as we're going to protect this one particular group, impose these re- restrictions without any sort of compensation to the one that would. And it also goes to think of all the stores that were deemed non-essential, forced to shut down. Yes, versus essential. And I know there, there's there's discussion out there about. Uh, what if this? What if this shutdown occurs again? What's that going to mean to the economy? How do we go through another one of these? Look, I, I can't predict the future, but if I were a betting man, I'm going to say there's no way we're going to have the similar lockdown as we had in the past. There's already been some stating. I don't know if you saw the Prime Minister of Indonesia. Indonesia is a big country; it's 280 million people, something like that. He came out and stated, and it's the the largest Muslim um, uh, country. He came out and stated. Uh, what a, this was a terrible mistake. I hope Allah will forgive us. Wow. That's how strongly they felt about, because they're seeing the ramifications it has on, not the ones that can work from home. Yeah, it's the people that can't. Yes, that have been impacted the most. So I know there's some concern about what happens if the lockdowns occur, and we see the market, stock market has volatility based upon that. Well, it's unintended consequence. Is this $600 per week, for unemployment, regardless of how much you were getting from the state, has uh, stopped businesses from reopening because they cannot get the labor. I have a friend that owns seven restaurants, could only open three of them because the employees would not come back because their unemployment checks were large. They're like, I'm not coming back because I can make almost the same amount of money or more by sitting at home. And this and is multiply a, that by 50, 80. How many restaurants are not going? How many restaurants will be permanently closed by the time this dust settles? Oh, the third of them. Yeah, that's what I've read. 25 to 35%. I just made that number out of my head yeah, just yeah. based upon what I see. And I see that there's people, there's a lot of people are still nervous about going out. Restaurants, not like there's a big waiting list to get on them. Had a conversation with one of my sons about uh, for profit colleges. The number of those, he said that the number of students that he knows that are not coming back to college is significant, just significant because the aid is no longer there. The schools can't afford to actually give them the aid 
Oh. Or they were going to either a full-time or partial um, Zoom-type college, and they're like, why am I going to pay anything at all? A lot of these colleges, the, the, the nonprofits as well, that have a top-line number, tuition's forty grand or whatever they want to say, and then, oh, you're a good student, so we're going to give you five grand for that. We're going to give you five grand. Oh, this, I get eight grand for that. And the next thing you know, the number's not forty grand. It's actually yeah. 16000 or whatever. Yes. Um, and, and they can do that because they run all the numbers. That's right. And they and can. now it's so the the ram the backside of this is going is going to be uh, talking to another friend of mine owns a a single restaurant he couldn't get enough employees back to open seven days a week he's normally open from seven in the morning till eight at night he's open five days a week from noon to eight every day wow Bizarre times. Anyway, we can talk about this stuff forever, but unfortunately, we have to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we will continue with calls. To join the program, 833-99-WORTH is the number. That'll uh, we'll get you set up and have a call with us. We'd love to take the call. And when we come back, we'll continue with calls and more. So stick around for more of All Worth's Money Matters. This week's show was pre-recorded at an earlier date. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McClain. Glad you are with us on this. Uh... And um, if you're listening to this on a podcast, if you would be so kind as to review our podcast because the higher the reviews there's some sort of ranking system more people listen and uh, if you're so inclined if you're enjoying this and think a friend or relative would like it please forward this podcast to them so you know there's uh in when the coronavirus thing first came out one of the first stimulus bills they had the paycheck protection program the ppp not to be confused with the ppe personal protection equipment, but the PPP payroll protection program, uh, which is 500 and some odd billion dollars of loans to small businesses. And at the start, first we saw some larger, and the, the deal behind this was, look, we'll loan you the money. And as long as you use it, most of it for your payroll, we'll forgive it. Taxpayers essentially are going to. It's to stop those employees from going on the unemployment benefit, essentially. Yes. Um, and early on, we saw some um, well-known companies, some larger companies. Ruth's Chris Steakhouse took some money, and all of a sudden, they got shamed for doing so. Some NFL football teams took money. <laughs> That's right. I think some NBA. Yeah, some professional yes. sports teams took the money. Yes. They got shamed, paid it back. And what, the interesting thing about it, the government comes out with a program. Here's the, here's the, the qualifications. Companies apply, and then after the fact, there was kind of like some ethical yeah, you requirements. Have, on it this. wasn't really meant for you, but you you did follow the rules, and then they get shamed. And so now there's there's talk of they should the 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 Fed should disclose every borrower, every company that took the loan. There's discussion of that. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting in our industry, we are a tech. We are what's called a registered investment advisory firm, an RIA. We are um, regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission, and in part, we uh, we must disclose things that are material to our business. Yeah. And by the way, the banks I love these. They get paid a commission on every one they did five three one. 5% if I think the limit was $250,000 or below, they get 5%. 3% commission if it was two fifty to $2 million, and then 1%. So they got to make something a bunch along of money. that. And they don't have to worry about being repaid because the government's That's right. guaranteeing it. Uh, that is right. That is right. I was talking to a Good gentleman that, who uh, is the CEO of a bank, a small a regional good bank, quarter. and he said it has been great. <laughs> <laughs> Business is good. <laughs> So what's happened in, in our industry, it's been quite interesting. Now, Allworth Financial, we did not apply for the loan, did not take the loan. Um, we, 
although we we believe revenues would be down based upon asset values, we didn't think that we were in such a position that um, we needed a government bailout. So we didn't t- take the loan um, or apply for anything. However, there's been a number of firms in our industry that have yes. taken these loans, some lar- quite large firms that have taken these some loans. Some very large ones. Large relative to our industry. Most investment advisory firms, there's, well, the typical firm might only have 10 employees. Uh, and then firms like ours with two, 250 employees somewhere in there, there's, um, we're a small percentage, but there's a number of firms our size out there and some a little bit larger. Um, but there's, it's just been really interesting, the kind of the shaming that's been going on in the, the opinion pieces. There's not a day that goes by that there's not. And how d- does the industry know who took the loans? Well, we have to disclose anything that's material um, in a in a public forum so that any investor, any client of these companies can see what's going on with the business. So we disclose it on what's called an ADV. If you have it, we didn't disclose it because we didn't have a loan. But correct, correct. So these firms and the, what the interesting thing about the disclosure states such like due to the uncertainty and in order to continue our operations and provide the service, we were forced to take out this loan. And so the language that they're telling the regulators makes makes it sound like the company was in dire shape. What, and then get- if you are if you are a client of this firm, if you're an investment advisor is in such dire shape, they need to take this loan. Yeah, so there's two there's two narratives. Yes. So did how do you feel about I it? I don't know. Actually, there's two sides of me. So we didn't take it. We discussed it. We didn't take it. Um. Uh, one of the things what we've done with all of our clients, and it's been a um, really important to us, is good tax planning and tax planning integrated with the financial planning. And when we look at somebody's overall portfolio, we look at their retirement plan, they're minimizing their taxes is a huge factor when it comes to their their retirement. There's a tax strategy, correct? Yeah, the sequence of withdrawals, required minimum distribution strategies, Roth conversions, all those things are designed to pay the government as little as possible. And when it comes to income taxes, it's finding every possible deduction imaginable. Even such that, Pat, we talk about ways to bundle your charitable giving using any sort of any okay, sort of so part of the government code there to maximize your own benefit. That's so where are do. you going with this? So my point is, if the government comes out with some sort of free money. Oh. Like we, d- we kind of. We, I mean, you chaired, the, you chaired the Sacramento Food Bank for a number of years. That's right. And you would, you, you, your intent was to give it to people who needed the. That's right. Not if some not, someone who was making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you would not feel good about them. To them, you'd be like, "What the heck are you doing?" There's a limited amount, There's a scarce resource here, food. This should go to the people that actually need it. So one way you're saying, "Hey, the government offered it, I'll take it." We kind of do the same things with our clients by trying to minimize how much they give to the government. Yeah. And you're saying, "Is that and, on the same and continuum?" And on social security planning. I mean, right now, by the way, we've got a great online social security webinar. If you uh, would like to learn more, go to allworthfinancial.com you can sign up <laughs> nice plug <laughs> it's an education piece on but my point is on we try to maximize the benefits maximize government benefits for our clients every dollar we can get so the ppp i don't know how do you feel about it um i actually I have friends whose businesses needed it and, I, and i'm glad they got it i actually I have uh, a family member who's a small restaurant needed it i don't i don't know how i feel about it right. I, I don't know I don't. What I do know is this: that those small businesses that were worried about paying it back, I wouldn't worry about it. If it was less than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I don't think. What do you that, mean you wouldn't worry about it? Well, I think you have to go through the process. The well, you got to be paperwork. in compliance. Understand? I just don't think that they're going to push on it. I think they're going to loosen up the re uh, the restrictions on the payback such that almost no one pays it back. That's my view. And they, we've seen it already. We've seen that they've changed the parameters of the payback yeah. t- at least twice. At least twice. What a mess. Yeah. But I, I know a couple of uh, businesses that took it and absolutely needed it. Yes, as do I. Absolutely. And I'm not here to shame any business owner that took it. Yeah. and Absolutely needed it. They would not be in business today if they had not taken it. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, take the calls here. 833 833- 99 worth is the number. 
We're talking with Paul. Paul, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Uh, got a question. Hey, Paul. Uh, trying to determine um, the wisdom, how wise it would be to take money out of a 401k to uh, essentially like pay off a mortgage right now. Um, obviously, with the financial, you know outlook of everything not not going great and i assume obviously if you wait it out things will pick up i, I understand that but uh uh just taking some some money out of a yep, certain thing and paying off a mortgage so that you're you I, know that i totally like, get it and we love the concept of a of uh homes being paid off particularly as people reach retirement how old are you paul i i'm only at 43 so. oh you're young <laughs> how much do you owe in your mortgage uh, so, uh, it'd be, I'm trying to think it's about 80. How much is in your 401k? Yeah, only, we probably only have about 150 right now. Okay. So. so the idea of taking money out of your 401k and paying off your mortgage is a bad idea. Um, okay. Yeah. In, in fact, it's very tempting though, isn't it? Like I got these money saved is. up. Uh, it's volatile. It's going all over the place. Uh, and I owe this money to the bank on my house. So what we, what you should do is figure out, well, what's the interest rate on the mortgage? Do you know what that is? 3.7. Like, you know, almost four. Yeah, 3.7. Okay. So what you want to do is you might want to refinance into a 15-year fixed rate and pay it off over the next 15 years. You want to increase your deposits into your 401k to the maximum that you could put in there, and you want it to all be in stocks. 100% so you've got when you it. think about this. Here's the so you know intellectually. Here's the here's the here's why it's so hard to be an investor because you know intellectually that the world's not coming to an end. You know this virus is going to pass us. You know the economy is going to recover, and you know that prices of these companies are going to be higher in the future, right? But. You get a statement every day that tells you what your stock is. Or you go online, or you read the headlines, and you market's off 800 points, 1,500 points. It's up 300 points. It's down. It's it's up. It's all over the place. If you there's never been there's never been a 15 year period where you've lost money by owning stocks back the last hundred years through all the. That that covers the Spanish flu even. (laughs) So. why do they always blame them on other countries? It's never our fault. The flu's, well, the, the, the Chinese, it's always somebody, the Portuguese. <laughs> the port- it's yeah. the Spanish. It could be the Americans. Unless it's like, um, it could be from Louisiana or something like that. Okay. We could call oh, that. Right. But, yeah. Okay, we apologize to all our listeners in Louisiana. <laughs> all four of you. Um, so, we, we, if you've because you've got... 20 years before you need these dollars. Before you start using these dollars. Not when you're going to use them right. all. It's not like you take them all out the day you retire. You take them out over years and years and years. You want to have your portfolio as aggressive as you possibly can because you don't care what it's going to do day to day. You care what it's going to do 20, 25, 30, 35 years from now. And that's why you want it to be 100% stocks. My 401k is 100% stocks. I'm 53 years old. I'm 57. Mine's 100% stocks. Right? And it has been since the day. As has mine. Through the financial crisis. It's never fun. No. I I, get it. I actually don't pay much attention to it. I look at the allocation a few times a year, make sure that it's right. Let's say that, Paul, after you're like, okay, I talk those yokels on the radio. They, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what they all say. And you do it anyway. Here's the problem. A couple things. One is the taxation of this w- would be disastrous. To get to eighty thousand, you'd have to pull out one hundred and thirty, hundred and forty, yeah. depending upon your marginal tax rate plus this, penalties. You pull out eighty thousand. It's uh, added on to your other income that you're earning this year. So now it's right. It's you're at tax at high tax rates. So you're paying a much higher tax rate than you would otherwise. Uh, plus, there's early withdrawal penalties. Now, we could avoid it uh, through the CARES Act. We can avoid um, most of them, but... But you're, 40, you're 43. 43. 43. And then and at some point in time, you're going to be at a point in life when either you want to retire or you're forced to retire. But if you refinance into a 15-year mortgage, keep that payment, this lower, accelerate, do whatever, but 
this house will be paid off in 15 years. You'll be and 58 years of age. And you have a very small mortgage balance for a 43-year-old. Yes, very, very small. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, thanks. Extremely thanks. small. Yeah. So that's that would so be that's, our recommendation. That's kind of what I was, you know, this is, this is uh, the advice I kind of expected. And that's, good. Kind of, I mean, well, that's kind of what I'm leaning to. I think that's probably the, the more the, the wiser approach. I just thought maybe you... Uh, with the light of the CARES Act and all these things, you might. I yep. thought I'd no, I'm glad you did, Paul. I might hear, you know, nope, now is the time. If you're ever going to do it, do it now. Yeah. But, uh, I, I kind of agree with uh, what, what I'm hearing. Yeah. So I appreciate right. it. Well, appreciate good. And, you know, Paul, and frankly, I'm glad you called. And I, I, I like it when we get calls like this because um, look, look, we do this 24-7, right? This is what we live. I mean, every article that comes out, I mean, I, we, we immerse ourselves in this stuff this is what we do all the time it's what our focus is our whole focus on how do we help people with their finances make the wisest choices so that they have the highest probability of success financial success in life right and in retirement what are those steps that we can take to ensure that they, they have the highest probability of success and so it's i think it's one of the reasons we've been doing this program for 25 years is to help educate people and um and we always appreciate calls. and investing is part of financial planning it is not financial planning that is correct. Oftentimes people say, I'm a financial planner. They think it's all about the investments. It's that is part of it, but the things that surround it are is equally important. Well, and, pl- and good financial planning, and we're just going to briefly talk this way you brought this up, because there, a lot of people call themselves financial planners or financial advisors. Someone could only have an insurance license and they might call themselves, a, I'm a financial advisor, and they're out there to sell you an, uh, some big expensive annuity your money's locked up for 15 years because um, they generate a high commission by doing so. And it's the only products they have available to sell. So th- there's a, but a good financial planning takes into considerations things such as, for, first of all, f- what are you trying to accomplish with your savings? What is it you, you want with your, your dollars to do for you? Retirement's usually the top one, if not number two. Sometimes college education and some other goals, right? So the financial plan is, all right, let's assume it's retirement. You want to make sure you've got enough money to retire. Well, it's really looking at what, what is it going to take to replace your income, your lifestyle? How do we maintain your lifestyle in retirement? That comes into consideration, what's the, what's the, where are we living? Is there a mortgage on the house? If so, how do we deal with that? How do we get that paid off so that we can be debt-free at retirement? How do we then figure out the best way to structure our social security. If we're contributing to the 401k, do we do it on a pre-tax or a Roth basis? How do we minimize our taxes? Do we look at doing some Roth conversions prior to required minimum distribution? I mean, there's so many different things. And and really a good investment plan is built upon a solid financial plan. So you go through the financial planning process first, then come up with investments are a tool, but then life happens. Yeah. Nothing goes as planned. Nothing goes as planned. And so the right kind of a financial plan and the right kind of financial advisor is one is one that's fluid and that is can adapt and adjust with changes in life. And a good financial advisor is really there to help guide you through those different chapters. The chapter when your your adult child moves back home for six months with their two children. The chapter when uh, you or your spouse have a, a, a serious medical issue or a terminal or a uh, change in job status or you hate retirement and you want to go back to work or prolonged disability. All those things that happen in, in life. Yeah, it happens. And a good financial I've plan, never had a, a good fin- financial advisor will help guide, guide you with your finances through all those chapters. I've never had a financial plan that we did at the beginning. That was the same at no, the end. No, never. Has no. your life gone ex- exactly as planned? Plan? I'm not that big of a planner. I just, I guess I am actually. You mean you're not that big of a planner? We started the business am. together. I think we did. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't uh, just happen by accident. Oh yeah. But it's certainly your life never. It doesn't. There's certain. Yeah. Oh yes. Things but come up that you would never happens. expect. It. All right. All right. Let's uh, continue on with calls. Eight three three ninety nine worth. And by the way, I was talking about financial advisor. Uh, I'm going to do a quick plug on us because we've got a great team of advisors. We're fee based financial advisory firm. If you don't have a good financial advisor, if you wonder what that journey is like, have a conversation with one of our advisors. Um, you could have a, a brief complimentary phone or video consultation. 
um, just to see how it might be a benefit benefit to you. Yep. All, allworthfinancial.com is the website. It's easy, actually. You go to the Zoom meeting, they send you an invite, you get on there, and they just talk for a few minutes. Yeah, and you can see what yep. how it might be a benefit to you. Obviously, we believe what we do. That's why we've been doing it for so many years. 833-99-WORTH is the number. We're talking with Alan. Alan, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Here's, here's my question. What steps do you take to protect your client's nest eggs during down or volatile markets? So... Uh, when you talk about nest egg, let's divide it into pieces, right? So what's kind of our investment philosophy in general, I think, is the bigger question. So there are parts of the nest egg that should not have any market volatility if you think that they're going to need them in the next three, five, six, seven years, right? And those don't have any market volatility in them. And there's other portions of the market that you're going to have volatility in, but you expect that you're not going to need them in a certain period of time, typically five plus years. The reason that works is the cost associated with protecting downside in a market, and you'll see this, and maybe you've been introduced by someone selling you an indexed annuity. Or you, you can use some other call strategies. You could use, yeah, you could use other option strategies in the marketplace. It's so expensive that it degrades the return of the overall portfolio versus. So if you try to hedge, if, you, if you're, let's say, so if Alan, you called, your, your question was, what steps do we take to protect one's nest egg? I think is how you described it. So if you came to me and you said, hey, I've got a million dollars. I never want to see this dollar, this portfolio drop below a million dollars, but I want to make sure that I earn six, seven percent over the long term. We would say we cannot help you. It's, it's impossible. impossible. It's impossible. If you said, if you said, I have my million dollars, I never want to see it lose a dime. I'm not that concerned about what I make. Then it's absolutely possible. So rather than us trying to worry about what a nominal figure is on a statement at any particular time, we say, what is it we're trying to accomplish with this million dollars? And if it's someone says, I want to make sure that these million dollars, I can take some income that's going to last me to my dying day, then we take into factors such as what expenses do we need to make sure that are, are met? Uh, is there a mortgage that we can figure out how to get paid off? Um, what what do we need to worry about a cost of living in the future for this particular situation? Is there something else going on in their financial life that can help hedge against some cost of living there? And then, so it's through those things. And then we would likely put together a portfolio where we've got, as Pat had alluded to at the beginning, some money that is not in volatile investments at all. Those dollars are available to, to provide that monthly income that's needed. Uh, most people have income monthly, say at retirement time, whatnot. And then dollars that aren't needed for five, seven, eight plus years, those, because we've got time on our side, we can say, ha, ah, we have an opportunity to earn more than what the bank's going to give us. We have an opportunity to invest in some great companies. And as the economy grows and as companies grow, the value of those will increase in the future. And that will give us the, the, the return that we need. Your thoughts. Okay, great. Alan, your thoughts. Great. Great. No, I think that's fine. And actually, uh, I liked your answer. I, I, okay. I suspect <laughs> that, like you said, if a million dollars, I think you said if you invested a million dollars, say don't lose any money. You said that's impossible. I, I would agree with that. But my, my thought was, like I said, if so let's just use a million dollars as an example. My, my uh, request would be, could you invest it? Try to make a little money, but let's not lose the house because it's my nest egg. Absolutely. That's right. Ab you know what? That's, that's, so there right. You go. that's right. You're right. Yeah. That's 100% on point. And so what oftentimes we look at, Alan, is like we, we, we do what's called stress case. Like what's the worst? Let's look at some worst possible outcomes and what that would do to one's portfolio. So like what happens if the stock market fell by 50%? How would this portfolio react? And so it's a, a lot of what we found, investing is never easy, right? Because right. we hate seeing things fluctuate in value. We don't, we, don't, well, no, we don't mind them going up. Every No one <laughs> minds it when it goes up. But there's a cost to going up, right? What's the cost of a fast-growing portfolio? The downside. 
That's the cost. It's called a risk premium for a reason. But it's good to understand what what risks in there could be permanent risks and what risks are temporary. And then what we found is when people have a, a good understanding of what could occur and what may occur with their portfolio from the outside, when they have that expectation going in, they're much more likely to uh, weather the storms and be great long-term investors. Because psychologically, they've braced themselves for it. So out of the almost $9 billion we manage, the equity positions in the portfolio is almost, what, 55% or so? I think of the overall firm, we're somewhere right around there, yeah. And 55%. And some clients are extremely conservative, with lots of hardly any inequities, and some are on the other side. So I'll give you a perfect example, Alan, a perfect example. I work with a client that has quite a bit of money. And he's never going to spend it all in his whole life. And he came to me and said, I need my portfolio more aggressive. And I asked him why. He said, because I believe that the stock market is going to do well over time and I'm never going to spend all this money in my life. So I'm investing it for my children. So I said to him, I like the way you're thinking. I'm going to take your portfolio and I'm actually going to split it in half and put it in two separate accounts. One account we're going to go 100% stock on, and the other I'm going to manage it for your age and your risk tolerance. And the 100% stock is the money that's going to be the kids. Right? And you cannot decide we're going to change the equity <laughs> positions in this 100% stock at any point in time, especially during a down market. And he, the strategy worked brilliantly because he psychologically removed that portion of his money from his estate, and we're managing it for his children, if you will. The rest of his portfolio, we talk about it all the time. Uh, and he's got an interest in that because that's what he lives yeah. on. So whatever works for you, right? But what you should stay away from is these schemes of these index annuities, these yeah. put like, options, these callers. And on our answer, I mean, we're pretty kind of, um, maybe call it middle of the fairway, right? I mean, it's um, and the the majority of quality financial advisors would give you an answer very similar to what we had provided. And over time, those strategies have worked very well. That's why the majority of advisors use those strategies. Be very careful of those advisors that are too far out there on one extreme or the other. Right? That is the ones we need to be careful of. So hey, we are out of time, unfortunately, because it's always uh, great being in the studio and great being with you. But um, uh, if you don't listen to this via podcast, you can get a podcast. And we've got a great tool of, of educational materials at allworthfinancial.com. So I encourage you to check those out, and we'll see you next week. This has been Allworth's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.